check this out. Today, we're trying T-Squared's Toasted Almond Brittle. It says it's candied, it says it's candied almonds and apple flavors permeate the air when this sweet fruit tea is steeping. The flavors remind of Christmas markets and can, country fairs. So tell me, Janine, Janine here is with me today. She is an artist extraordinaire. And um, tell me about this tea. What do you think about it? Oh my gosh, that was a uh, really good tea. <laughs> Like I thought maybe I might need sugar or something because it's got apple in it and sometimes apple can be a little tart, but no, it's really smooth, um, surprisingly sweet, uh, but I don't think it like not sweet in the way that it has sugar, but sweet, just like a flavor of some sort. It's really nice. Cool. Yeah, no, I love trying different teas and thank you very much for sharing your taste buds with me. Thanks for sharing your tea. (laughs) My pleasure. So Janine, I would love to take a moment. I'm a big fan of you as an artist and illustrator and the really dynamic artwork that you do. Mm-hmm. And I would love you to just tell me a little bit about yourself because what I would love to delve into is how you got from your love of, of drawing into to where you are now, where you want to take it. But let's start simple first. And, okay. <laughs> you know, let's, let's, let's hear about you. Well, I am from Toronto. I've always been an artist, always. Uh, it's always been my thing. My dad, my dad was an artist. So he, uh, was actually one of the, uh, first black artists in Toronto. Not first, but he was a really big member of the black art scene in Toronto in the 1960s. He, yeah, they, they had like an association that met on College Street. Uh, it was like one of the chapters of Marcus Garvey's, um, uh, organization. I forgot the name of it. But anyway, he helped to bring up all these artists, like the influential jazz artists in the 60s, brought it, brought them to Canada and I mean to Toronto. And he was also one of the first, they call them Negro painters. He was like, This uh, is your father? Yeah. He was an artist. What's his name? His name is Martin Carrington. Martin if you Carrington. Look up the Carringtons, one of the first black families in Toronto. They, you know, anyways. I'm going on a lot about my dad, but he influenced me a lot. Uh, he taught me the basics uh, when I was little. And then I always drew, always. I spent, you, if you look at my textbooks, I mean, my notebooks in elementary school, high school, always drawing horses in the margin, ballerinas. Uh, and they were, they did actually happen to be blonde ballerinas. I drew that for a long time. And then I went to study and in high school, I started switching over. Like, you know, when you start getting, you start asking the critical questions. Why am I always drawing blonde ballerinas? And then you start being more aware of the politics and, you know, the injustices in society. So, um, yeah, then I kind of transformed into uh, more of the style that I have today. Uh, I went to OCAD which was OCA when I went to it. <laughs> I just dated myself. Uh, yeah, I went to OCA and then I uh, took some time off, worked in offices for a bit. And uh, while I worked in the offices, I worked also because I never went fully into administration. Right. I always kind of, I worked as a temp. So I was always a junior receptionist Okay. for many different places. I was a junior receptionist, which meant I had loads of free, free time to sit and draw. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Seize the opportunity. I did. Absolutely. It was part of the reason why I took those jobs because 
All I had to do was answer a phone call every once in a while. And then I spent the rest of my time drawing. And uh, I got like five graphic novels done during that, my stint, my stints. You're paid in some ways my, to do yes, it. Yes, I was. So maybe I've been a professional artist for a lot longer than I say in my bio. Uh, yeah, so that was, um, yeah, that got me to just before I decided I can no longer like draw between phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> it's not making me enough money. I have to either, you know, choose, pick a lane, basically. Yeah. Am I going to be admin or am I going to be an artist? And so I just, I quit offices altogether. And I had my son too. And I said, well, buddy, we're going to have to live kind of, you know, tighten our belts. Uh, and I made a one-year plan and I said, this is what we're going to do uh, until I make it, until I can live off of my art. And <laughs> I think that's really, you know, it, it it is the tale, I think, of so many artists. And we, you know, when I think about um, Toronto as as communities, mm-hmm. where would artists live? And, and it's becoming increasingly more and more expensive, right? Mm-hmm. And so even like, you know, when you had so many art galleries around Toronto in areas that would be considered like less desirable or more seedy right. because it was affordable, but that was where all the creativity was. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me as a realtor, I do often think about how do we create spaces that invite like diversity, that invite, um, right. you know, like people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Because right now where we are uh, in Toronto, it's very, very ex- expensive to live in. And so when you, my heart is, my background is in art history right. and artists. And so you know, the, the, the plight of the struggling artist is very real. And the fact that, you know, you tell the story of, well, I would take these junior jobs because I could actually like sketch while I'm answering phone calls and and doing it. And you made it work, which is really cool. I will say I was raised, um, going to church. And I remember thinking like, oh, one day I'll be an artist because, and people will say, why, how did you develop your skills? I'd be like, I would listen to my church lectures and like, and do it. That never came to fruition, but I love that story um, and about making that choice of I have to pick a lane. Right. And I can only imagine how terrifying that was. Absolutely terrifying. So tell me about that year. And you have a young child. And a young child. He was around two at yeah. that point in time. And it was terrifying. But it, what had happened What had happened was uh, I had actually gotten pneumonia because <clears throat> I was quite sick that time. Too. I didn't realize how sick I was. I had something called Cushing's disease. Yeah. Well, which, that's rare. Yeah. Oh, well, I had it. I didn't know I had it. Um, so I had, it, Cushing's disease leaves you susceptible to many infections. So I happened to get pneumonia. Uh, and so I was coughing away and then they let me go <laughs> from that assignment. <laughs> so I was like sick and I didn't even care. I was so sick. Um, but they, they're like, yeah, you know, we don't really need you here anymore. So it's going to be a couple more weeks. So I'm like, okay, great. So then, you know, I started asking myself, what am I doing? Like, I need to make more than, you know, $400 a week. You know, I need to do something. And I wasn't trained to be a receptionist. So I can feel, you know, new people breathing down my neck because it's harder and harder to get placed because I'm not upgrading my skills in Word or Excel or PowerPoint. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, you know, it came time for me to either go back to school and learn how to do all those things so that I can compete and get more jobs or leave. So I said, and I had been listening to a lot of self-help books. So I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And so on the last day, 
of my last job, I sat down at their computer and I typed out my one-year plan, typed it all out, da, 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 all day, just, and then printed it out because I'm like, I'm not going to have access to any more free prints, <laughs> right? Free black and white prints. So I printed it all out. I had like a thick, you know, like a thick folder or a thick document saying what I was going to do, by wow. when, um, what I wanted to happen, when I could move on to the next stage of the plan, like all the criteria for moving forward in each part of this plan. Well, I had like, you know, six hours to do this. So I, I did it. I That's made good intense. Things. Okay. You're an inspiration. I mean, like you talk about the plight <laughs> of the artist and surviving, yeah. having a young child and being like on your last day, you spend the last six hours yes. literally knowing I'm not going to have a computer. I'm not going to have no, a printer. No printer. I got no a paycheck. Like, and you did... <laughs> What I would say is a business plan. I made a business plan. I did. And so my business plan, um, like stretched across one year, I had hoped to have $30,000 by the end of the year. And I detailed all the steps to getting there. And then my first step was, well, I need to find some childcare, right? So I can work on my portfolio. And so I was like, okay, I will need a childcare subsidy. Okay, and in order to do that, you have to file your taxes. I had not filed taxes in 10 years. Whoa. So okay, I, was like, I love this. <laughs> okay, here we go. Just file them. If you owe something, Janine, pay it. If you don't, you're good, right? Just get your subsidy and keep it pushing. We got to do this. So I go into H&R Block with my 10 years of tax. I'm like, here you go, guys. <laughs> you know, a little nervous. And then the guy rings it up through years, first year. Oh, the government owed you a thousand dollars. And my plan was like, if they owed me, you know, a hundred dollars, I'd buy a slice of pizza and put the rest away for my son. <laughs> so the first year, a thousand dollars, second year, a thousand, third, it kept going up 10 years, thousand dollars every what? year. Plus all the years that I had not um, gotten the child tax benefit, plus all the years of the GST, plus the trillium. So all these benefits came up to $30,000. It's almost like it manifested. Okay, this story is like, I'm like, whoa. Like, because I, I will say, I understand. Like, okay, let me ask you this question. Why didn't you file taxes? Just because one year I filed it and I didn't get a return. So I was like, ah, oh, this is a waste of my time. Well, as you know, it's really interesting, but like people... Tax season, you got to file, okay? Like as stressful as file. it is, file because you might file get surprised and or you I mean, might get wait. surprised in a very bad way because yeah, yeah. imagine right. ten years of interest on something you owed could yeah. have taken a very small debt that you had to the government and turned it into something unmanageable. So yeah. I got lucky in a way, in that you know I didn't owe any money after ten years, and they actually owed me that amount, thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, so that got me uh, started. So I was good to go. Uh, and part of my plan also was to move to Costa Rica. But I thought that would be happening a year later. So <laughs> did you move to Costa Rica? I did. Yeah, I took that money. I moved to Costa Rica. I bought myself a, a wicked computer, the most expensive one out there, the best one at the time. And I still have it. I still use it. It's paid for itself many times over. Uh, and we moved to Costa Rica. I worked with a lot of different authors down there. Um, but because I was sick... I had to come back because the 30,000 was good, you know, to live on for a year, but wouldn't have paid for the treatment I needed. Yeah. Okay. So we came back um, and then we went on uh, and then I had an operation about a year after we came back and I've been living here ever since. 
Wow. What a, what a story. I mean, I didn't even anticipate all that awesomeness of, you know, it really, you kind of self-manifested this, right? Like, I felt like it at the time. It really did. You know, and I, what I would love to do is I wanted your artwork. Cause I remember seeing you, like you would be illustrating, um, mm-hmm. for other authors right. and you would be like, you know, illustrating beautiful, um, vibrant color schemes and and especially representation of of black people black superheroes black everything Mm -hmm. and i just loved it right because for me as a parent um of my own children representation is really important if you don't you need to see it to believe it right and i really believe it and i I think that we are in a day and age where more and more people are behind the scenes like you see the red panda like you mm-hmm. know you see all these wonderful shows that have made it to the big screen mm-hmm. and made it to the small screen and kids see themselves reflected right yeah and i love seeing that that we see that diversity of different cultures yeah and it's i feel like when you get people in the room mm-hmm. that can actually have that impact it's really powerful and yeah. i feel like i wish this had happened you know, a decade earlier or two decades earlier, but it's taken a while to claim space. Right. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, and also talk to me about your new book. Okay. Well, I've got to say, like, I feel like the general consensus about among myself and all my peers is that movies are so much better than they used to be. (laughs) Like we got Encanto and Turning Red all in the same year. And it just felt like, wow, if I had had this movie when I was a kid, you know, I would have felt so much more validated, less shy. I wouldn't have put myself in the corner as much. I would have felt more proud of myself, really, you know, to see characters who looked like me, you know, uh, had hair like me, who didn't die immediately in the movie, you know. Yeah, I mean, and Uh, and their story is important. (laughs) And what it, happens to them in the plot? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, you know, and to be the center of it, not to be an extra, not to be on the sideline, not to be, you know, on stage right at the back, you know, but to be right in the center is it, it, it just meant the whole world for me. And for my son, who happens to, you know, especially in, in Kanto, my son who has, happens to be half Latinx and half black, that was, amazing like he said at one point in time that guy he speaks spanish like me right well, and he doesn't like my son doesn't speak spanish that well but he's been learning like i've always given him a base of spanish since he was little so he does know some things and this brought it out like this was this was the first time he actually expressed pride in knowing that Powerful, language right? yeah it was amazing it was like that's all it took, you know, like, why were we waiting so long to do this? This is all it takes is just some, you know, positive representation on a big screen for kids to start claiming their identity, you know? Yeah. So uh, with my book or with my work in general, I've always sought to do that. Like, I, I understand definitely that there's a need for people, especially when they're trying to erase Black history, erase slavery from it, as, you know, incredible as it sounds that people are trying to erase this part of history. I also feel, and I know it's a large sentiment, a big sentiment among the Black community that we're kind of beat over the head with slavery a bit. It's like, it's a bit much now. Um, 
you know, we need to know about it. It needs to, we definitely need to not forget about it, but we also have to have other types of representation. So I've had that in my head always, like, you know, ever since I started drawing black people, dropped the, the blonde ballerinas and started drawing that, I was keenly like aware that every time I see black people in the media, it has to do with angst. You know, it's always crying or shot or sad or poor or something. Right. So I'm like, well, I, it's for me, it's all, it's going to be all about numbers. It's going to be about volume. How many images of beautiful, ethereal, you know, insouciant, um, carefree, lighthearted black people can I draw? Yeah. And I've got, gotten a lot done. <laughs> you have. No, I mean, I, I know like by, you know, kind of like watching the work that you put out there, it's just mm. so beautiful and it just adds to the collective. Right. And books are so important. Like for me, I'm a lover of books. Libraries are something that's really important to yeah. me. And so I, especially when I had um, my first child, like my daughter, I just remember being even more cognizant before mm. I gave birth to her that I was like, I need to find books that she can see herself reflected. Yes. And when I was growing up, it was Tiki Tiki Tembo. And I remember like, not the best representation, but one of the few and only representations when I was a kid yeah. that I saw. And I was like, that's, is that me? Like, that that's it? the only thing closest <laughs> to me. There are lots of stereotypes in it, which is not, you know, when we look back, but we have to look forward mm-hmm. and create the spaces that we want. To create it. Yeah. So that's why I'm a big fan Thanks. of you and, yeah. and the art that I see. And I really appreciate all the artists who are really making space. And even like with Churning Red, I remember mm. with um, Shimido, right? Like that's her name, I think. Oh, um, is that the director? Yeah. Okay. Like, she's from Toronto and she right. like created it. And, but even like I saw an interview where it was about how having more diversity in decision-making chairs yes. makes a huge difference. Definitely. And so you, as an illustrator, you have the power of the pen, yeah, which is quite mighty. Right. Yeah, I and so. so I don't know. I, so I, I guess I want to take a moment to just kind of like, have you talk a little bit about the first book that you've authored. Uh, okay. Yeah. So my first book is called M and the Cat. And it's about a kid who finds himself at home after an unexpected school closure, which I feel like we're all, all parents are, oh, here we go. <laughs> all parents are really um, familiar with during the pandemic and the strikes and now weather systems that close the schools on like a moment's notice. Yeah. So Emma is at home and uh, they have a, a very tempting option, which is to spend the entire day in front of the TV. So, um, the glow of the TV. <laughs> well, that's, that's a different kind of glow. Yeah. There is one glow from the TV and yeah. then another glow shows up and oh, it right. is a mysterious cat that has somehow gained access to the TV room and is about to wreak havoc. So, um, yeah, the story, I don't know. I can't even remember how I got to the story. I know how the characters evolved. Like I know that for sure M and the relationship between M and M's mom is based on me and my son, like 1000%. I I realized that as I was drawing because it was much easier to write how I felt when um, 
you know, like begging my son to please, you know, do something other than watch TV and yet knowing that work was there and it needed to be done. And if I didn't get it done, it will not get done. Like if I spend all day arguing with you about what to do or trying to fiddle with the parental controls or, you know, having to deal with the begging to take the parental controls off of the tablet, I will not get my work done. Yeah, and no, I mean, I, to live. And, and that's a reality that so many parents face, especially mm-hmm. during the pandemic where people were schooling happened at home, yes. work happened at home, mm-hmm. and many people were often in very confined spaces. Yeah. And some people might not even have been able to go outside if they didn't live in a house, right? right? And yeah. the tough. story was really powerful in that sense of sometimes you're just trying to survive day by day. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that was totally our story. We were at the very beginning trapped in, in our apartment uh, because we weren't allowed to go outside. We didn't have a backyard. Uh, so we were in uh, in the apartment for the entire time. But then it morphed into something different because, of course, as the restrictions relaxed, we, you were able to do, you know, somewhat normal stuff. But I didn't send my son back to school uh, because at first it was... I felt really nervous about the virus having being, you know, sick for so long. My endocrinologist told me that it's possible that your immune system is still a little bit, you know, weak. So you should, yeah, you could be susceptible to this, to contagion. And so, you know, you might want to, you know, exercise caution. So I was like, okay, well, I don't, I don't really feel comfortable with him going to school. So we spent two years doing homeschooling or virtual schooling. Uh, and, um, yeah, a lot of that happening. A lot of that, you know what, I'm just going to have to give up this battle and leave him to his own devices. So uh, that's, yeah, so that describes the relationship of M and um, M's mother. And then the other part of it was just an adventure that I dreamed up, like a bunch of things that can't happen that do happen to a kid. And this cat that just leads the whole thing is the instigator of this wild adventure that they have. And then when I was about to start drawing, I was like, well, is I'm gonna, is this story gonna be for girls or for boys? Uh, and I'm like, well, uh, it's kind of for both. And I was torn, like, is, uh, should M be a boy or should M be a girl? And then it dawned on me. You know, in 2022, M doesn't have to be a boy or a girl. For real, right? M just needs to be a kid. And it's, and it was like the light shone in. It was, it was so much easier to write that way because I didn't have to think about gender or, you know, um, you know, trying to, or yeah, gender roles or, you know, classic interests. You know, I didn't have to figure out whether the, the, the character should be wearing blue or pink or whatever. I could just draw a character doing what they do and it should appeal to all kids. Like I love it. I mean, and and I love it because I'm gonna, you know, describing that the cat is so cute and round and fluffy. And what I notice about this book is that it's not genderized, right? But it is a they them, right? right. Someone who's like non-binary, uh, but it's not the focus of the story. It's just like what you were talking about blackness and not being like the slavery story being like, okay, we need to know about it, but how do we now change the storytelling Uh to, I mean, I'm I'm putting air quotes around this about normalizing. Like it's a part of our, it's a fabric. It's a part of our life. Right. Right. 
Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that I'm most proud of about the book. Like I spent a whole lot of time on the illustrations and it was nice to be have full creative control over that and the writing as well. But um, really the underlying concept of the book that <clears throat> I'm extremely proud of is that uh, this character, there's no mention of race. There's no mention of gender. Mm -hmm. it, the character, it's just the character doing their thing. Uh, and so it's not a book about being non-binary and it's not a book about being black. It's not a book about being chubby. It's a book about being bored. <laughs> and so, yeah. and in that, I feel like I have addressed to the maximum amount the issues surrounding being black, chubby, and non-binary by not addressing them that I have put forth this character into the world not to be seen as anything other than a kid, which is what we need now for our kids is that they need to be the star of the show. There needs to be no question of their humanity. There should be the word, you know, um, weird or, you know, uh, normal should not even come into the conversation. You are who you are. Just are. Right. <laughs> These our kids just are, and I feel like it, it drives me, you know, bonkers when I see, you know, the the media that we have, that there's so much like um, othering of our kids, and uh, I don't I I don't want to create a book that does that. I want to create a book where our kids are front and centered. Like so many other white kids are, you know, white um, cis kids are, uh, heterosexual kids are front and center. The story's about them and everyone else is in the periphery kind of you know, orbiting the white character. And uh, I feel like, okay, we have enough of those stories. We have more than enough. Yeah. It is now time to tell our stories, our kids' stories. And... I think that's, you, you've kind of, I've, I love how you've captured it. And one of the things is people are probably thinking, do you have a kid, if this is a story that's kind of related to you, do you identify as a non-binary? Do you, like, how do you identify yourself? Because I'm sure that people are thinking, not that it should matter, but that is something that people will think yes. about. Yeah, and it definitely is. And I agree with anyone who's questioning it or wondering. I myself, I, my pronouns are she, her, and I identify as heterosexual cis female. Um, so I, I don't actually have firsthand experience. I mean, I, the community that I'm most familiar with is, I mean, most of my friends, I guess. Yeah. Or, um, no, a large majority of my friends, and I don't have that many friends. <laughs> so that's like millions. two people, but it's still a large majority of a, a large percentage of my friends are trans men, trans women. Um, but uh, yeah, so I don't feel like I am necessarily the most qualified person to write a story about a non-binary uh, child. I am. I feel very qualified to write a story about a child, and that's what I did. Uh, because I didn't want to write about a girl. I didn't want to write about a boy. So this was a very, very helpful phenomenon, a helpful uh, state uh, being, you know, yeah, uh, for me, literary wise. Yeah. That I didn't, it, 
took the pressure off of me having to decide what type of story this is going to be. Yeah. No, I mean, I, even in your color choices, right, of what the child is wearing, it's like a thallow blue, like a Prussian mm-hmm. blue or something yeah. like that. And the the purpley, orangey pink, like right. that there's two different colors. Like, so that's not, well, what is it? Like, I as a parent, I am quite acutely aware about the the way colors are used and, right. and how it is signaling a gendered, like, gendered clothing, gendered toys, gendered right. thing. And I really wanted to be that parent that wasn't. And there's so many unconscious, like, reinforcements or conscious reinforcements because right. there's, like, you know, um, you go out and you see pink, pink, pink for girls. Yes. And, and, and when you see a boy, like, oh, I don't want to wear pink. That's for girls. Like, it's really frustrating and it's hard. And the fact that you're creating work that is like, wait a minute, we're going to like shake things up. We're, we don't have to explicitly say, no, colors can be for anyone. But mm-hmm. it's like, wait, this person has chosen this color. Yeah. And it's part of the observation and, and the internalization. Internalization. That's you know? exactly it. Internalization. It's almost like subconscious. I'm hypnotizing people, hopefully. But that's what happens all the time in media. All these subtle messages that our kids are getting. <clears throat> so I thought I'd throw mine in the mix too. You know what I mean? Like my subtle message, which is like, there is no rule um, for you. You are who you are. Yeah. And you're the star of this. You make amazing things happen as well. Yeah. You, or you make amazing things happen. Well, I love that because, you know, the quote that you had told me about um, that is your favorite quote is be cheerful and strive to be happy. All right. <laughs> so talk to me about that, because I feel like you have manifested a lot of your successes in situations that have, might have been like terrifying. It, it probably was terrifying, but... Definitely there more. was a lot yeah. of striving and a lot of happiness right. and the outcome. I mean, everything that you produce is just so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I, well, the quote, uh, it is from a poem called Desiderata written by a white man. Old. <laughs> but anyways, it happens to be my mom's favorite poem. Uh, she's had it around the house for ooh, longer than I can remember. And it's a poem that I made my son memorize when he was uh, like around four. He could say the first part of it and the last part. And it's like, it's got a lot of surprisingly good advice in it. (laughs) Tell me about that. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. Yeah, be cheerful. So that's the very last line of it. Uh, I wish I could remember. I had it a, a bunch of it memorized myself for a while, but I can't remember it. Okay. But be cheerful, strive to be happy. It's always been like a very comforting line for me. You know, like he says, I know he says, um, uh, despite all the drudgery, uh, it's still a beautiful world. Be cheerful, strive to be happy. Yeah, with all its uh, sham drudgery, and broken hearts. It's still a Whoa. beautiful world. Be cheer- be cheerful, strive to be happy. And I feel like that's like something you can cling to. That poem definitely got me through a lot of hard times, actually, because uh, there are some definitely words that you can like that 
will definitely resonate with everyone and that you can hold on to in times of sadness or tough times, fear when I was going into the operation because it's brain surgery, basically what I, the operation I had. So I was terrified, but you know, there's uh, the first line is go placidly amidst the noise and the haze and remember what peace there may be in silence. So that's one of the ones that I held on to. Um, So yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's something, those are words to live by. I think that poem, most people who read it will agree. It, they're words to live by. I also heard that it's um, when you're in Alcoholics Anonymous, you have to memorize that poem as wow, well. Wow, how interesting. Yeah. And I thought, well, what an amazing choice. Like uh, that, if, you know, it perfectly describes, I feel, what could be missing in someone who has a substance abuse problem. that sense of serenity um, and, you know, kind of like you're going to be okay. You know, things are happening and then just, you know, watch, listen, do your best. I mean, and that's all that we can do. I mean, we are living in times where there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, We've gone through a very unprecedented times with COVID, Mm -hmm. uh, with all the, the, you know, the fears of like infecting others, getting infected. Um, overcoming it and kind of the social skills that have been lost over two and a half years. And and throw into the mix there the racial reckoning that happened in the middle of the pandemic where all of a sudden people were so acutely aware of the injustices that are going on and the hatred that, you know, that has manifested itself since, you know, over the past, you know, decade. Yeah. You know, all of that has made it a really awkward time for us, right? I I, I hear you as a person of color, as yeah. a, you know, a gay woman. Like, it's, yeah. I, it's, how do you live your life authentically? I mean, I think that's important. It's something I strive for. Yeah. And yeah, go ahead. And can I ask you, yeah, as, a, as a gay woman, as a gay mother, how did the story strike you? Like, what did you feel about it so you know how you said that like the story was about a kid being bored it totally stood out for me because I could see my daughter being like I could see myself having that conversation right and it literally took me back to the time where I'm working and I have to do stuff and my kid is there and sometimes it it, you you want to do the path of least resistance and so you're like okay I need to get this done go ahead watch the screen and you know Pre-pandemic, we were like, no screens, nothing. Let's go out. Let's do something. But when I read this, what I love, like, this is what I love about this story is the fact that I read it and I'm like, yeah, I I relate. I can relate to this story. I can relate to the fact that this is about a kid who just, they just, they're like, please, if you're not going to play with me, can I watch something that will entertain me? And the screen has become a babysitter for so many people. And there's no judgment. A hundred percent. There's no judgment on that. (laughs) But it made like when I, when I saw, read this book, I was like, wow. Right. And as a parent, I just, I just could understand, like I could relate to it in so many ways. And I thought, how can we share this journey of a kid Hmm. trying to realize there's more than just a screen and Mm -hmm. the discovery, like it goes on a journey, but the discovery of play, the discovery of going outdoors. And mm-hmm. you would think that it's simple, but it's not that simple, uh, right? Yeah. And so that's the piece that's super duper yeah. powerful. And I love this story. I It resonated with me. I love that it was nothing like 
hitting you over the head. Like this is a story about people of color or this is a story about someone who is um, non-binary and, yeah. and the body type. I mean, for me, I'm like, wow, this is a beautiful kid. Right. And so I, re- I really appreciated it. And so it's just so beautiful. That means the world to me. It really does because I, you know, as I say, I don't have your experience. So to hear that it resonated with you, yeah. that's, you know, it's all I needed to hear, really. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like it checked off all those check marks that you had said. Oh, great. And I will say when I have shared this story with other friends and I've told them about it, they were so inspired by it and wanted to meet you and and to, you know, even hire you to be an illustrator to oh, help wow. tell their stories. Yeah. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come and speak with me and and share your story and and actually really share your story about the evolution of this and your intention, like the intentionality actually that led you from, you know, I love drawing illustrated three graphic novels while working part time to five, five, sorry, five, five, no small feat um, to illustrating and authoring your own book. And the world is your oyster. Right. And I'm so glad to be able to have this moment to have a conversation with you about that. Oh, thank you so much. I want to talk about this book and being here really is, it's almost like my tax windfall that manifested itself because one of the things I really wanted to do was do a podcast or a video. I like have an interview about this book because I have so much to say. It's a big part of me. It came straight from my heart. So thank you so much for taking the time to ask me about what I've been dying to talk about <laughs> well i really appreciate you taking your time and this is people janine carrington janine carrington.com <laughs> right um janine carrington books oh sorry sorry, yeah. sorry. janine carrington books or actually you know what janine carrington.com will also lead you to me thank you i managed to snag my name as my url so either one will lead you to awesome me and to emma the cat well, thank you. Thank you, Lee. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It was awesome. I love it. It was so great.